Well, welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast as uh, Purdue gets ready uh, to face Wisconsin. And uh, all Purdue fans know what kind of nightmares this series has been for the Boilermakers over the years. Uh, the last 15 meetings, Wisconsin has won. They've Most of them have been lopsided. Most of them have been over by the third quarter. Uh, but I, you know, I will say that under Jeff Brom, Purdue's games have been closer these last meetings, but they're still over uh, against uh, against the Badgers. And here to break down the Badgers for us, the fine and talented and esteemed uh, writer, reporter, uh, comedian at times, Jeff Portrekis from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Jeff, hello. Thank you for joining us. Um, I think you should have just stopped at fine. Talented. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> this man is all Badgers, all Big Ten, uh, and he's first team in, in what he does. So we appreciate him joining us today while he's uh, working on another story that we won't talk about right now. But uh, the first question is is the big question. And for those uh, Purdue fans who have not really delved into the Wisconsin coaching situation, you know, why did Paul Chris get fired? Take it away. Well, athletic director Chris McIntosh had told a couple of reporters, including me, um, in the days leading up to the Illinois game that, hey, look, we're not, we don't make rash decisions here. We let our coaches uh, work their way through tough times. And that was before Illinois came to town and really just beat up Wisconsin physically. And in the second half of that game, Wisconsin did not respond, as you would expect, to being down only 14-10 and half. And that was after Paul Chris in the locker room said, guys, guys, draw a line in the effing sand. Let's come out and hit him in the mouth. Second half starts, Illinois drives the ball right down the field after taking the kickoff for a touchdown. And it, just, it, it was a bad loss, and I think it shook some people, including the athletic director. And because this came out of nowhere, because I checked Sunday morning, the day after the game, with a couple people, everything was fine. We got the email, Paul Chris Presser on Monday is going to be here. The coaches were meeting, going over, you know, reviewing the Illinois thing. As Chris McIntosh was meeting with Paul Christ and delivering the bad news. So this was this was something that, that happened after seeing how poorly Wisconsin played against Illinois. And I also think there's a second factor at work here. You know, Jim Leonard became the interim head coach. It's, it's pretty common knowledge that Jim is – He's turned down several job offers, including the last one to the defensive coordinator of the Packers before this past season, or after last season, excuse me. So when he turns down those offers and stays here, you know that there's something in the works there. I thought he'd be the head coach eventually. I just don't, I didn't think it was going to happen this way. And now he's got, he was given basically seven regular season games to show what he can do. And, you know, part of it is, hey, He's in a tough spot because the team's struggling, but that means he can show if he can rescue this team, get them playing good, clean football, getting playing physical football for 60 minutes. That's what UW people will need to see to be comfortable saying, that's our guy to lead the program into the future. Now, is his you know, seven-game sample, obviously you want to win, they want to win, they want to get to a bowl, but is it more about wins and losses for, for, for Jim, who's I don't believe he's been a head coach ever before? No. In fact, Paul 
Christ hired him in 2016 as a secondary coach without any head coaching experience. Jim retired after 10 years in the NFL, took a year off, um, was in the area because his family, he's got a really nice house, west side of town or outside of Madison, loves it here. But he was off for a year, and then Chris hired him, no experience as secondary coach. Next year, he bumped him up to defensive coordinator. So it's, it, from, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, it's not a matter of what his record will be after those seven regular season games. Right now it's one and one. It's what kind of football team does he put on the field? Does it play clean football, hard football? How did he manage taking a locker room that was crushed? I mean, the players were livid that Paul Christ was fired. They were, they were angry. They were hurt. They were blindsided. No one saw it coming. So Jim walked into a really difficult situation, and he basically told the players, look, i got to lead you guys now. That's the responsibility that they've given me. But this is Paul Chris' team. You guys are playing for him because we are all here, he said, including me, because of Paul Christ and what he's done and meant to this program. And that's one of the things that not only have I seen, I know Jim's bosses have watched how he's handled things that way off the field. They're well aware that, to, at least to this point, even with a loss to Michigan State last week, He's done a lot of things exceptionally well under some really different circumstances, difficult circumstances. It sounds like they want they want him to have the job. They absolutely do. They do. They, they want him to be the guy. I mean, it's a first of all, he's a bright football mind. Mm-hmm. He's really sharp. He resonates well with recruits. He handles whether it's boosters, donors, recruits, media. He does all those things well, um, and he's a guy when. It was 2017 when he was promoted to um, D.C., and the Big Ten Network sent a former UW player up here to do an interview. And I dug up the old video, and Jim's talking about returning to UW, and he said, he goes, man, to come to come back to this place where I was an All-American, to come back to this place that set me up for an NFL career, he said, I can't tell you how special that is. He goes, this is home. And Wisconsin administrators and people outside of athletics are very big on hiring people who understand what it takes to win here and you're not going to find anyone who knows that better than Jim Leonard and that's, I don't want to say it's part of the reason Chris McIntosh is AD today but it's a big factor because he knows the landscape, he knows what works here and what doesn't You know, when when I found out that, that Chris had been fired, the, the first thought that came into my mind was this was similar to what happened at Nebraska about 20 years ago when they hired Frank Solich, a successful coach. And, and since then, as you know, Nebraska hasn't gotten it right. Uh, they've, they've had misstep after misstep. Is there any chance that Wisconsin falls into the same trap and then, you know, 20 years from now, you look back and say, well, why did they do what they did? Or are more pieces in place you believe at Nebraska to or at Wisconsin to, to, to make this successful, a successful transition? I'll say two things. One, I thought that Paul Chris deserved the balance of the year to see if he could get things squared away. That's the way they've handled it. I've been up here since 1995. This is the first in-season firing of a coach in any sport. It's always been after a season or two or three are evaluated, and they sit down and they go through the process. So this is a first for people, for everybody. 
I will say this though, if I remember correctly, that was Steve Peterson. Right. The height. Okay. Yeah. The difference, in my opinion, it's it's an understandable comparison. The difference, in my opinion, is this: Macintosh knows the landscape here, knows what Wisconsin needs to be. I don't. I got the impression, if I remember from reading some of the coverage back then, out of Nebraska, that at, even at the time, and particularly in hindsight. The athletic director didn't know what Nebraska needed to be successful, but McIntosh does. So I think that's a, in my opinion, that's a significant difference between the two situations. Yeah, you're probably right, because I, you know, the, you you can't Wisconsin cannot be in Nebraska's situation. The Big Ten needs Wisconsin to be good, just like they need Nebraska to be good, and Nebraska hasn't gotten it right. But it does sound like there's more more of a foundation in place at Wisconsin that they will they will get this right and the program will be back to what what everybody wants it to be. Yeah, because, you know, uh, uh, I hope if I'm, I'm not making a mistake here, but it was um, Callahan who took right. over the uh-huh. Solis, correct? Yeah, Callahan took over. And Callahan who see, was the offensive coach here under Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin. Callahan came in and tried to change what Nebraska is and what they do successfully offensively, and and that won't. There be there might be some salt tweaks if Jim Leonard's the new guy, but I don't see a wholesale. This worked for 20, 30 years, but we're moving completely away from it. I don't see that happening. Right. Um, so when you've watched these last two weeks, I. I, I would assume that there's not many changes defensively because he was Jim was already in charge of the defense. Correct. What 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 tweaks or what changes have been made offensively that you've been able to pick up uh, over the last couple weeks that you, maybe you're starting to see Jim's stamp on what they what they what they're doing on the offensive side. Well, basically, what Jim did going into the first game was he said, "Look, I don't want to micromanage the offense. Okay, I'm going to worry about the defense." But what he told the staff was, look, we have got to get the ball into the hands of our playmakers. You guys get in a room, figure it out, and come up with a plan that does that. Now, they did a good job against Northwestern. Now, but Northwestern is not a good team. They're just not. They're struggling in pretty much every facet. But they, Wisconsin came out, and then their first two series, threw on first down five times in their first two series. Their average this year in, is like five times in the first half. So they came out and they attacked. Now they went back to some first down runs after that, but they they got off to a really hot start, got to a rhythm, went and were leading by 28 zip at half. They play Michigan State last week, which cannot defend a quarterback with a pulse. And they don't pass the ball on first down the entire first half until the last possession. It was, I think it was 14 runs on first down and one pass, which I did not understand. I thought that I was shocked by that game plan. I thought they would come out with some play-action pass with Michigan State looking to shut down the run, hit some passes, get them on their heels, and then you're in control of, of, of everything. And, and Michigan State then has to adjust. They did not do that. They scored a couple times, but it, it, that plan did not work. So I'm not really sure if Bobby Ingram just decided on his own, we, we're not going to throw it against these guys. Because we talked to Bobby Ingram um, the other day, and he doesn't say a lot, but the words that came out of his mouth kind of slipped out about, you know, the offense stalling against Michigan State, and he said, I've got to mix it up more. Now, to me, 
some of us have said to him, Bobby, we, we can't just run on first down time after time after time after time. I, I thought that was a tactical error. Yeah, it sounds like it, uh, especially when he came off the success you had, or the success Wisconsin had the week before in facing a Michigan State team that can't defend the pass. They couldn't defend it last year. You know, Purdue kind of picked them apart, and everybody picked them apart. Um, but where, with, with with Mertz, Graham Mertz, the quarterback, obviously had a really good game against Northwestern. Um, did he just not get the opportunities last week, or was there a little bit of uh, regression there from the week before? Now, he's a better player than he – he's playing his best overall football at Wisconsin, and he's got, what, 27 starts now um, at UW. But as, even though he's improved this year, he's still – it happened in the Ohio State loss. It happened in the Illinois loss. And it happened against Michigan State where he makes a throw. He either forces it or the accuracy just isn't there that it's an interception and it leads to points. And it shifts the momentum out of Wisconsin's hands and into the hands of the opposition. He did it. it was, they were up 7-zip against Michigan State. They had just stopped them on fourth and goal at the one. Just stuffed the running play. So I think on either second or third down, he throws to the tight end. It's way too far to the inside as the tight end is running toward the boundary. A linebacker picks it off, and it's a 12-yard touchdown drive for Michigan State, and it's suddenly 7-7. He, he still makes throws that just kill you. He, for whatever reason, he can't avoid that in games. So, to me, and the Purdue's got, what, 10 interceptions? I believe something like that this year. They got guys, ball hawks. That's gonna, you got to watch for that because if Purdue's going to have an opportunity to make a play on the ball. He's going to give them at least once Saturday, an opportunity to make the play on the ball. Well, I don't know if you watched Purdue and Nebraska at all last week, but there were receipts. I saw some highlights. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. there were, you and I could have run free against Purdue's secondary last week and, and, and been very successful, and both of us would have been named Big Ten Players of the Week for our performances. So that's an area that they've got to get cleaned up, even though Wisconsin technically is a running team but the play-action pass may be a big deal. As you know, copycat, you know, they, they see things on film, they're going to try it. And I don't, you know, I fully expect uh, Wisconsin to come out and trying to push the ball deep just to see if Purdue has made any, any corrections uh, from last week, which I'm sure they have, but will it, will it follow through? But, you know, Brandon Allen is a terrific running back. Um, what kind of year has he had to this point, and can they lean on him to, to get them enough wins to, to get to a bowl? He's been solid this year. He hasn't put up as good as numbers as last year. I, I thought there's some times where he hasn't seen the holes as well and, and hasn't been as decisive as he was at times last year. And, and we just talked to Jim Leonard about this the other day, that last year, Chesma Lucy, who was the number two tailback, actually he was number one at the time, suffered a season-ending knee injury at Rutgers. And after that, they they really rode Allen a lot. He had the overwhelming majority of the tailback carries, and he went into the regular season finale at Minnesota banged up. Uh, Last week against Michigan State was the first game without Malusi, who suffered a broken wrist at Northwestern. They had, uh, Allen had 29 of the 31 tailback carries. So I asked Jim Leonard the other day, I said, look, are you guys aware of what happened last year? Do you have to be cognizant of not riding him too hard? And Leonard said, yeah, we've got to make sure, you know, he's an explosive playmaker. We have to make sure we don't take that away from him by running too many times. So I think they might use their backups. Isaac Garendo 
and maybe one other guy a little bit more against Purdue than they did against Michigan State. So I'm, I'm curious to see two things. What the tailback carries, how that looks, how many Allen gets, how much rest he gets, and as you alluded to, does offense coordinator Bobby Ingram come out and try to attack Purdue on first down with play-action passes? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I would do, but I'm not... You know. That's not that's not my job nowadays. Uh, uh, defensively, um, I mean, I know Ohio State kind of ran all over them and passed all over them, but Ohio State does that to everybody. Um, but where are they at defensively, and can they can they slow down this Purdue passing attack, which is not let's push the ball down the field every play, but more of a, a methodical. Uh, approach this year where O'Connell's taking shorter throws and keeping the offense on the field a little bit longer? Well, in general, they are nowhere near as good defensively um, as they were last year when they went into West Lafayette and won 30-13 and forced turnovers right. and took David, David Bell. They took him out of that game. They're not nearly as good. They're, they're, two inside linebackers are gone, including Chanel, who had a huge day. Um, they've been playing without their number one safety since the opener. He's been out. They've lost one of their better defensive ends for the last two weeks. Not sure if he's coming back. Um, they're not getting the productivity off the edge from the outside linebackers that they need to. They've got seven sacks from the outside linebackers. Nick Herbig had six of them. And the other guy got his first one last week against Michigan State. So they're, I would be shocked if they can turn Purdue over, get consistent pressure on the quarterback, and keep Purdue from moving the ball up and down the field. I, I just I don't see it happening. They also, they've also been banged up at cornerback. They lost a, a good slot corner. Um, he got hurt at Northwestern, didn't play last week, and they got their best cornerback, um, Alexander Smith. He made his season debut last week at Michigan State. He's been out all year because of a hamstring injury, so they're gradually working him back again. Not as good a defensively overall, banged up. I, I just don't see them slow Purdue. Don't see it happening. Well, well, they ran 101 plays last week, Purdue did. I don't know if they'll reach that mark on Saturday or not, but that's... Wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if they did. (laughs) All right, back to the coaching situation. All right, I mean, as you've mentioned, and I think the the feeling up in Madison is that, you know, Jim Leonard's going to be the guy. Okay, let's just... Let's say Jim Leonard's not the guy. Who's at the top of the list? Who would they look at? And who, who potentially could take over that program? You know... Right now, there's one candidate, and that's Jim. And I'll, if it if the season were to unravel, and he looks like he's not the guy to lead the program, there's there's one guy I think the, I think the first guy that they would reach out and engage his temperature, his interest is Lance Leipold mm-hmm. at Kansas. Mm-hmm. Now, the only negative about Lance, again, this is just my opinion, is that he's a little bit older. He's 58. I mean, Jim's 39. If, if it works out for Jim and he takes the job, you know he could be here pretty much forever. Um, but Lance is is well known to people. He was a graduate assistant at UW, UW under Barry uh, for about three seasons, I believe, through up through '93. His resume from UW Whitewater, which is a short drive to, away from Madison, is ridiculous with all the national titles he won. You know, 106 and nine, I think his overall record was before he took that job and went to Buffalo. He got Buffalo's program back up and running. He's done a great job at Kansas in just a very short period of time. That would be the guy I would think Chris McIntosh would reach out to first if it doesn't work out with Jim Leonard. 
Yeah, but I think the consensus is it will work out with Jim Leonard. <laughs> uh, I think, I, I personally believe it, just from what I've seen him handle since he was put in this situation. Right. Uh, I haven't seen him make one mistake off the field. Not right. one. Right. Well, uh, good for him if he gets it. Good for the program because, as you mentioned, he's only 39. I think if he does get the head coaching job, he's probably a 20 to 25-year coach there. Uh, and then, you know, West, assuming he, he wins, but uh, yeah. I, I think he, he, he looks like one of those guys that is, you know, tailor-made for that job and would have would have success um, with that program and maintaining what, what they want. And, uh, and I, you know, that, that would, I, I think that would probably go over well in the, in the, in the community with alumni, wouldn't it? Yes. I mean, I think, uh, you know, as, as one player told me the other day, and we were talking about it, he goes, they love their alums here as coaches. And they do, <laughs> but you know, but they want to win. And right. it, it's not that they just think he's an alum. He has to have this job. People, since he came back here and has been on the staff and done a tremendous job with the defense, believe is a very good football coach, great football mind. And now, as in this interim role, you're seeing him do all the other things that a head coach needs to be able to do. Well, and the other, the other part of the equation is if you let him go, he's not coming back. No. I mean, he's he's going to get scooped up with all these openings that, that have already happened and that are about to happen, and you're, you're, you're not going to get him back. And I think that would probably be the biggest regret. Uh, if they let him get away. And in my opinion, that that thought was on the mind of the athletic director when he made the change um, after the Illinois game. All right, Jeff Patrickis from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel has been our guest on the Borders Extra podcast. Great breakdown of the Badgers and their situation, but also their team. Purdue looks to break a 15-game losing streak when they play the Badgers uh, this week, uh, Saturday at Madison, kickoff at 3.30. Uh, games on ESPN. Uh, so, Jeff, hey, thanks for jumping on uh, today. Appreciate it and look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Okay, Mike, we'll see you then. Yes, once again, thanks for Jeff Bertrakis of the, 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 the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel for joining us on the podcast. Good information about, you know, why the coaching change was made at Wisconsin and what lies ahead. I, You know, I'm with Jeff on this. I think Jim Leonard is going to be the guy, and I don't think it really matters what the record is now he did mention and i would agree that if things would somehow unravel uh the last month and a half of the season then they might look elsewhere but uh you know i i'll be surprised if you know after their last game of the regular season uh going into you know assuming that they get to a bowl game that uh he'll be he'll be named the the permanent head coach uh probably sometime in late november or early december and you know, and I, I see him being there for a long, long time. Uh, he was all, you know, when he came back to to Wisconsin and started on the staff. I think he was earmarked for this for this job. And you know, as I mentioned, I think you know the Big Ten needs Wisconsin to be good because you know they they are a brand name in the league, and that's good for TV. Uh, same with Nebraska; they need Nebraska to be better because they're a brand name, and they they need to be good for TV uh, because you know you just signed a a long, you know, big, big fat TV contract that, uh, you know, the, the, the TV partners need, need those uh, programs to be good so they can put them on and, and draw, draw lots of viewers. Uh, regarding uh, Saturday's game from the Purdue uh, standpoint, 
Um, Chris Jefferson did not practice on Tuesday uh, from from what I was told. Uh, So unless he practiced on Wednesday, it's probably unlikely that he'll – He'll play uh, or make the trip on on Saturday. Uh, he had, you know, backed out last week before over mental health uh, issues, uh, and it's as Jeff Brown mentioned on Monday. That's that's more of a um, up to Chris Jefferson timeline uh, of when he returns. Uh, OC Brothers is another key guy that's been out the last couple weeks, uh, and I believe he did practice today or was out on the field today. Now, whether that leads to him playing on Saturday uh, will remain to be seen. Um, the one guy I'm curious about is King Daru. Um, he did play last week, uh, but I don't know if he's 100% or close to it. Uh, so we'll see uh, if he uh, makes the trip and, and, and gets out there. there. There shouldn't be, you know, unless he had a setback uh, last week during the game, uh, you know, he, he, he should be there, but, you know, We'll see about that. And the reason I say this is because I requested him for an interview on uh, for Tuesday and was told that he would not be a, available. Uh, so that always raises a red flag with me from an injury standpoint because uh, they usually don't let injured guys or guys that they know potentially may not play uh, do interviews uh, during the week. So those are just some of the, the rules that they they've set forth and that – you know we have no no control over so that's why I just I bring that up as a possibility uh but we'll see uh what happens on on Saturday and as far as Purdue's concerned they, they you know for the most part they're playing well uh, yes the secondary was atrocious last week uh you can't not give up that many big plays and and have guys that wide open i mean it's one thing to challenge routes and challenge guys but there was no challenging going on in the back half, and it was across the board. It was everybody. It was just one of those games where they they all they just all had a bad game, and whether their eyes were locked into the the backfield or they were in the wrong position, the wrong calls, whatever, the performance has to be better. And as I, you know, as I mentioned to Jeff, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Wisconsin comes out on the first play and says, "Okay, we're going to test you here to see if you've if you've learned anything from last week." And, you know, this is a team that doesn't throw the ball a lot, is not known for throwing, but they can, they can burn you with a pass because of the play action. Uh, because you're, you are fixated on the run. You are fixated on stopping the run. You probably can commit a few more guys to the box. But the play action can freeze you for a second or two, and that's all, you know, receivers need. Now, I don't believe Wisconsin has – a guy as quick as Trey Palmer um, that can really blow by you, but it doesn't take much to get a step or two. And we've seen these busts in Purdue secondary throughout the year. Not as much as we saw them against Nebraska, but you remember the end of the first half against Maryland. Uh, and there's been some other other games where um, you know they've they've had those busts, and you, you've you know they've got to clean that up, even though they don't play what you would call primary passing teams the rest of the year, they've got to clean that up because it will lose them It will lose them a game and probably lose them a chance to win uh, the Big Ten West if 
that kind of play continues. But the other parts of the defense have been pretty good. The defensive line, a lot of depth, as you know, and they probably need to get home with a few more sacks, even though they had four uh, in the first half against Nebraska. They probably need to be a little bit more, give, bring a little bit more pressure there. Linebackers have been okay. If they get OC Brothers back, I think that'll help uh, give them a little bit more athleticism uh, in, in being able to, to play in space. You know, offensively for Purdue, you know, it's about, you know, controlling the clock. Uh, you know, can you get another big game on the ground from Devin Mockabee? Um, you know, he's going to be a guy that the Wisconsin defense, you know, targets. Uh, can the offensive line continue to protect O'Connell? No sacks last week on 54 pass attempts. Uh, you know, if all those things happen again, if they get a good production out of the running game, then Purdue's going to hang on to the ball and they're going to move and they're going to move it. Um, and then the key is when you get in the red zone, you got to score touchdowns. And, um, you know, this would appear to be the best opportunity Purdue's had going into a game to beat Wisconsin. Now, they've had some games here recently where they've been in the game, the triple overtime game a few years ago. You know, once you got into that game, you know, that's a game Purdue should have won. They were up, I believe, 11 uh, or so uh, early in the fourth quarter. And then Jonathan Taylor continued to go wild. And, uh, you know, Purdue basically, you know, ran out of gas and lost in three overtimes. I think Jeff Brom's first year, they went up there, uh, got beat 17-9. to I think they were down 14 to nothing in a hurry. But they just kind of hung in there and uh, almost got a punt return for a t- punt block for a touchdown in that game. Uh, but they, I think they ended up with three field goals. So yeah, Purdue has, you know, not every game, you know, last year's game at, at Ross Aid was close for a while, but then Wisconsin took over. I believe Graham Mertz only threw eight passes in that game. Um, so Purdue's played them better the last few years, uh, but they still haven't won. And uh, and I I believe this is Purdue's best chance going into the game uh, to beat Wisconsin. When you look at how Purdue's playing right now, the situation with Wisconsin, uh, that if they can continue to do some of the things that they've done here recently as far as, um, you know, making the plays at the right time, um, making key stops, getting off the field on third down defensively, uh, and, and executing well on third down on the offensive side that they'll have a, a good opportunity. But 15 in a row is 15 in a row, and Wisconsin has this this hex over Purdue. You know, you can go back to the Kyle Orton fumble because that's when this all started. That was the first game of this winning streak for Wisconsin when game day was at ross Aid 2004. Purdue was one of the top teams in the country, uh, it was all set up for Purdue to continue, uh, you know, p- you know, moving its way up the poles, moving its way up into the Big Ten standings, uh, and then a fumble, a return for a touchdown. You know, Purdue still had a chance to send it in overtime that day, but missed. Uh, I think Ben Jones missed the field goal. So, uh, and you know, and some will, some fans will point to this day that that's that changed the trajectory of the Purdue program uh, and really elevated Wisconsin's program. Uh, So, and there's probably some 
some truth in that, where if Purdue wins that game, you, you really don't know what happens after that, but we know what happens. We know what happened when they lost, and things have not been, you know, maybe as they should have been if Purdue would have won the game. But that's that's where this streak started uh, on that night uh, at, at Ross Aid Stadium, and Purdue has not yet beaten Wisconsin. So uh, we'll see if this is the year. Uh, and I, I will say this is not a uh, make or break game for Purdue from a Big West, Big Ten West standpoint, um, because of in part because of Purdue's schedule. After this, they have the the off week, and then Iowa, Illinois, Northwestern, Indiana. I mean, the schedule is in Purdue's favor. You know, when you look at Illinois' schedule, they still have um, they still have to play Michigan. They go to Nebraska. They've got some other games in there that are going to be difficult games to win. So even if Purdue would lose on Saturday, it doesn't really kill their chances to win the Big Ten West. Regardless of what happens on Saturday, you know, Purdue's still going to have to win some games down the stretch. You know, assuming they can beat Iowa, and then it's going to come down as of right now to that Illinois game. Purdue's still going to have to beat Illinois to win the Big Ten West, regardless of what happens Saturday. Uh, so, um, it, it's not it's not make or break, but you know if you'd like to keep your momentum going, keep the good things that you've done, you would be four and zero in October. Which, when you looked at looked at the schedule at the be- beginning of the year, four and zero in October seemed seemed pretty far fetched. But now uh, they have an opportunity to do that. Well, appreciate you stopping by. Uh, I'll be back after the game on Saturday to recap. Uh, it won't be early Sunday morning because this is a 3.30 game. Uh, so hopefully uh, it'll be a decent hour when we uh, when we share our thoughts after uh, Saturday's game. All right, appreciate you stopping by and have a good day.